Well, welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me as always is Brad Hallier. And, and Brad, my, my wife is is typically a an avid listener. It comes up in her um, multitude of podcasts, so she listens to us every week. And um, we have been accused of something. We'll see if uh, you agree or disagree with my wife. Um, she's accused us of being sports nerds. What's wrong with that? No, it's, it's, well, it was my question. I said <laughs> I, she was laughing about our uh, our our trivia last week to to start the podcast, <laughs> and, and I, I, I didn't see the humor in it. But she said we should inject more humor into our podcast. So, um, well, maybe she'll find this funny. It kind of reminds me of the time when. Um... My wife and Steve Carpenter, the sports information director at Hutchinson Community College, when his wife and my wife got together and uh, we called them Thelma and Louise. And they can <laughs> and they countered by calling us Beavis and Butthead. And we took it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> In certain circles, it would be. <laughs> oh, but uh, we we'll, we'll get go ahead and get with it as we got a lot to cover. It's a monster week with uh, state championship week and everything i wanted to start with uh, a unique event that took place this past sunday you were actually in attendance for this brad the first ever football game was played at the new riverfront stadium there in wichita home of the wichita wind surge it hosted the um, jayhawk conference championship game with uh, hutch juco and garden city and that was a resounding victory for the Hutchison Blue Dragons, but just uh, tell us what it was like. All the results have come in, and it seems like everybody really enjoyed it, thought it was a a great atmosphere for football. I think I saw the attendance was just slightly over 2,100, so most everybody was hoping this was the first of maybe um, many football games to be played, but what did you think of the, the Jayhawk Conference championship game yesterday at Riverfront? That was a pretty. It's a. It's a. It's a really neat stadium, first of all, and they did a good job of getting it ready for, uh, for football. And some some of the some of the sod laid over the turf was a little bit soft. I guess if I had one complaint, uh, I was out there before the game, kind of just kind of walking around. I guess if my only if there was one complaint is that the the turf that was covering the dirt was a little soft. But what 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 a great atmosphere though. I mean the the field just tucks right in beautifully across the infield and into left field. Uh, you know, the crowd is still pretty close to the action. Uh, some of the Garden City fans on the far side were sitting out in right field, and they were probably about the only, only ones who were kind of far from the action. But, it, it, yeah, it was, it's it's a great setup. I mean, the downtown ballpark is wonderful. And, yeah, I, I think we could start seeing maybe, you know, an occasional football game play. That, that, you know, maybe they can get together with the City League and, like, have a have an annual City League game down there and maybe get together with the Jayhawk Conference, maybe have an annual Jayhawk Classic uh, down there or something like that. Uh, I think it, it, it would be neat to see uh, some football down there. Maybe some kind of a, a bowl game or something that they, you know, they used to do the uh, the Wheat Bowl in the NAIA. That was like a preseason uh, bowl game that used to be played in Ellenwood a number of years back. Maybe something uh, an annual event could start there featuring, you know, maybe a local team and an out-of-state team or something like that. I think that something like that might really take off there. Yeah, yeah, that'd be kind of neat to also, you know, maybe see, you know, uh, Sterling or Southwestern or, you know, Bethel or Friends or something like that playing there every year. Or, heck, you could even maybe bring uh, Emporia State down uh, to, to play in the game down there. So, you know, the, the, the possibilities are endless. But, yeah, it was really – 
a neat atmosphere. It's a wonderful facility. And, you know, if, if the, they had maybe had a Hutch Butler show down, I mean, you probably would have been looking at probably 4,000 people. So, uh, but Garden City turned out fairly well. They had a decent crowd there. It's just, you know, they compared to Hutch, it just, you know, it, it just paled. It was about 10 to 1, probably. Well, how about Hutch? I mean, the, the, they should take a lot of pride in that. I mean, the, the start they had going, starting off 0 and 2, and there was a lot of, uh, you know, people think, well, this is going to be really down year for Hutch, and all they do is is rebound and come back and 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 win the whole thing throughout the the the, the tournament bracket and everything. So um, that was that was a great job by the coaching staff keeping everybody's head in it there at Hutch JUCO, and they they finished really well. Yeah, let's not forget they didn't get much of an off season. You know, they're playing in the national championship <laughs> game in June down in Little Rock. They got what maybe six weeks of an off season, so. You know, they jumped right in and played a great Coffeeville team to start things out with. And, yeah, it, it could have really gone down uh, hill pretty fast, especially after the crushing loss to Independence. But then they really came back strong, won their last five regular season games. And, uh, yeah, uh, Coach Drew Dallas, I, I think he's a special coach. Who, who does it look like, uh, we'll move on here in a second, that's likely to play for the JUCO championship this year? Well, that's going to be what my rant will be on later. So okay. kind of kind of a little teaser here. But uh, Hutch finished fifth in the final poll, so they did not make it to the final four playoff. Okay. Uh, the final four will be, if I can remember off the top of my head, it'll be Iowa Western will host Snow College, and then New Mexico Military will host Northwest Mississippi. So that's what your semifinals are will look like. And there, there still will be a Salt City Bowl this year, to the best of my knowledge. I haven't officially announced it yet, but uh, I'm pretty sure that the Blue Dragons will play in the Salt City Bowl against probably another top ten opponent. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll get back to uh, JUCOs and let you go here um, after a while. But uh, let's move on and talk about uh, let's talk about the Kansas Jayhawks, Brad. I think uh, I think we're disappointed that they didn't come out on top at TCU, but I think all of the Kansas fans are like, okay, they come off of that big win at Texas. And they go down and they are in it literally till the last play of the game where TCU kicks a field goal with six seconds left to win 31-28. But I think all of us feared what we had seen after um, good efforts earlier in the season was going out and laying an egg. And they did the exact opposite. They went down and played, had the lead at halftime, came back, got that thing tied with at 28 with just under four minutes left. But then you got to give TCU credit. They, they executed a... You couldn't execute a drive any better than the Horn Frogs did. They took all of KU's timeouts away. They ran it down to um, what about ten seconds before they attempted a short field goal and to win it by three. But um, you had to be happy with KU's effort and and, an, and another close call. Well, the the Twitterverse was kind of uh, griping about KU's clock management there in the fourth quarter, and on and someone actually then kind of countered said, "Isn't it great that we're griping about?" <laughs> Their, their yeah. clock management instead of losing, you know, again, uh, you know, 55 to seven or something like that. And, and, the, and the original poster was, you know, kind of, like, you know what, that's a great point. It, it really is nice to be, you know, talking about something more meaningful than just getting slaughtered again. And look, they, they, they played well enough to win the game. I don't think that 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 goes without saying that they could have won that game. And, you know, Jalen Daniels is becoming a revelation. But uh, Devin Neal, hopefully he's OK. He got hurt in the game. But man, how about. That young man from Plainville, Jared Casey, four catches for 34 yards and a touchdown. Also had a couple good blocks on touchdown runs. I'd say that kid is 
he's proven he's not a one-hit wonder. I mean, my goodness, for him to go back out there like he did and go four catches and a touchdown, I mean, this this kid's got a bright future ahead of him. He's not, he's not a one-hit wonder, Scott. Nah, they probably had to pull him away for some autograph signing or something for the game after, man, he hit it huge after that win at Texas. Uh, you mentioned da- Jalen Daniels. Boy, I, I, you really got to feel like as a KU fan, you've, you've got your quarterback of the future. 22 of 30, 255, two touchdowns. He did throw one pick, had a rushing touchdown. And Kwame Lasseter, he's been a a staple there, eight catches, 101 yards. Yeah, Jalen Daniels is – he's a special young man. I think we kind of knew a little bit of that when we saw flashes last year before he got banged up and then didn't, didn't play a lot. Um, but, yeah, he's – boy, he's looking really good. I, I think they're – rightfully so, should be very excited that they've got this kid at least two more seasons. Yeah, I should hope – or I'd like to hope that – they can keep the lot of these. I mean, it seems like that the one thing that that Kansas has kind of struggled with, among several other things, obviously, <laughs> is whenever they get some good young talent, they seem to have a hard time holding on to them. That they'll enter enter the transfer portal, and, and I think Lance Leipold is actually the kind of coach that is going to be able to keep this young talent. You know, uh, Devin Neal's obviously a Lawrence guy. Uh, you know, they got some good Kansas talent in there, and I just hope that Jalen Daniels is the kind of kid. You know, we saw it with several other guys through the years that he will stick it out because I think it could be the start of a nice rebuilding project in Lawrence. It certainly could be. And then they got we've talked about TCU and now they've got a five and six West Virginia team that's going to come to Lawrence. Can they play a third game in a row at that higher level that they seem to have achieved against Texas and TCU? I, I tell you, that'd be something special if they could somehow find a way to win that West Virginia game and, and, and finish three and nine. I mean, if, if we were being honest, if you told us, Hey, K, you'll be three and nine this year at the beginning of the season, I think we'd be lying. If we, we didn't say we would have taken that. Well, not just three and nine, but uh, two conference wins also. Yeah. And, 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 and I think they made a couple good points about Kansas football on Saturday. And that is on the telecast. And that is look, being competitive is great. You know, and that's what they that they've done that a few times. But and they were going back to the Texas game. But at some point, being competitive isn't enough. You got to win some games, and that's why they were saying the win over Texas was so big because it kind of gives validity to what they're building. Now, if they can come out and you know, we thought maybe at the very least split those last two games. You know, it kind of builds that credence even more. And you know, I don't. It's not going to be the end of the world they lose. But I think if they win, it really will. Lance Leipold's a lot of credibility to what he's trying to build in Lawrence to finish the season like they did and several other decent performances too. Yeah. And then he can go into, he'll, he'll have a what quote unquote normal spring this year uh, to have a spring practice, hit the recruiting trail hard. And yeah, I'm like you, I think that um, they may have found their man, certainly their quarterback and maybe, maybe the head coach that, gets this thing turned around again KU West Virginia 94-7 on Saturday well uh, I didn't see a lot of this I've studied up some of it on it uh, yesterday the Chiefs moved to seven and four maintain a half game lead in the AFC West with a strange score 19 to nine they defeat the NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys you had a great point on uh Facebook that the Chiefs have won the NFC East because they have beaten all the 
teams in the NFC East now. Um, it's it's hard to I, I have a hard time knowing how I feel about this win because you see the nine points first and foremost that they hold Dallas to just 298 yards of total offense, no touchdowns. They had got the defense had two interceptions of that Prescott and a recovered fumble. So uh, it doesn't seem like that that defensive effort against the Raiders. I think some people were waiting for the other shoe to drop. That well, Dallas is they'll, they'll put up 450 yards on them and and 35 points, and they just didn't. The defense, Brad, is starting to make me believe that um, they're going to be pretty good by the end of this year. I'm not sure there's a scarier team in the NFL right now than the Chiefs. I mean, you look around the NFL, there's just been a lot of strange scores and games this year. I mean, look at the Texans. They've they've lost to some absolute dogs this year. I just can't figure out some of the teams that they've lost to. But then you look who the Chiefs have lost to. They don't have a bad loss on their record this year. You know, they've lost to the Titans. They've lost, you know, to the Ravens, to the Chargers, to the Bills. I guess maybe that Bills loss isn't looking so good anymore, but (laughs) – you know, they, they've lost to some good teams this year. They haven't really had the a loss to a team where you kind of raise your eyebrows and think that, you know, the Chiefs lost to them. Like maybe if they lost to Washington or New York or something like that, or if they lose, you know, maybe to the to the Denver Broncos, who really aren't that bad either. But, you know, it's, it's really starting to get to the point where, you know, we're saying that the Chiefs are who they are offensively, that they're just going to have to try to figure things out and try to march down the field in 15 plays. I think they found something with the defense. So this is my, they, they might be, this is who they are. They're, they're just getting a lot better. Chris Jones is turning into an, uh, a top, uh, we are, which we already knew he was. Uh, the, the, the secondary is covering really well. And, you know, I, this isn't a fluke the way the Chiefs are playing defense right now. You know, but one game is a fluke. Two games, okay, maybe you got lucky. But, you know, they've done this for, what, four and a half games in a row. I mean, this is a legitimately a defense that's, really playing well right now. And offensively, yeah, there's still some concerns. They kind of took a step forward against the Raiders and then have maybe a half step back against the against the, uh, against the the Cowboys, but they still won. So you can't really be up too upset with the win over them. And now you get the bye week and then a couple of division home games. Yeah, uh, Mahomes, 23-37, 260. Uh, I think the, the part you continue to see and that troubles you is one interception and another lost fumble, so he turns it over. Two times in this game, Clyde Edwards-Alaire back, looked really good. Got 12 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. Um, yeah, you, you had a Butker miss the 51-yarder. He missed an extra point, so there's a few points still out there. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think this offense, I'm not going to say that the Raiders game, I'm not going to by any stretch, was a fluke, but I think this is, for whatever reason, this offense this year – um, is going to be one of those that may put up 24, 28 points a game, and that may be where they're at. They may have the occasional you know, breakout game like they did against the Raiders, but it might be a team that can actually win controlling the clock, having, like you said, those 12 and 15 play drives, and having a defense that can keep you in every game. That, that may be who this team is. And then you mentioned the schedule. This sets up just – exactly like you would like it for for the Chiefs they get a bye they lead the uh, Chargers by half game and I'm really ticked at the Steelers last night they came back and I I thought they were going to win that game and give them a game and a half lead but the Chargers came back but here's their schedule home to the Broncos home to the Raiders and at the Chargers after the bye so the division is right there for the taking if they can go two and one three and oh in those games 
they could they could wrap up the AFC West. Yeah, it kind of depends on who those two. If they lose the Chargers again, they, they it might be a little bit tougher for them to win the division because then the Chargers would would uh, have the tiebreaker on them, obviously. Yeah. But you know, you're right. The, the schedule sets up perfectly. You know, if the Chiefs go three and zero these next three weeks, it's over. The Chiefs are going to win the division again. There's no question about that. And you know, there's a there, there's a big game this week. You know, uh, the Chargers go to the Broncos. That's not going to be an easy game either. And they still got a trip to the Bengals coming up. And so there, there's a couple. It's and and they got the chart. They got the Rams also coming up, and so I, 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 no, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong thing there. But they they don't play the Rams. But there's a couple, uh, you know, tough games coming up here for the the Chargers. Their two games before they play the Chiefs are not exactly walks in the park. Now, did did you happen to watch any of the Chargers game last night? I had it on background noise. I glance up every now and then, but no, I didn't really. I, I didn't pay too close attention to it. It, it it's still. Uh, I probably should have this for a final thought someday, but it still amazes me that they put not one, but two teams in Los Angeles and prove again that Los Angeles does not support their sports franchises, Brad. I mean, that was 60 to 70% Steeler fans at that game last night. It was like the Chargers are playing a road game in LA. It was, it's ridiculous that um, I just, I don't get it and why they were so, so avid about getting a team back in Los Angeles and then they make it two teams. I'm, I'm, I'm still shocked at that. And, and it just reinforces what I think about it by what I saw last night. Yeah. Kind of, kind of weird how they, they've always loved the LA market. They've tried it so many times for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. I mean, you, you can't force the NFL into Los Angeles. I think at best they're, they're a one a one-team city at best. I mean, they, they obviously love their Major League Baseball there. The Dodgers are well-represented. Uh, the the NBA is very well-represented. You know, Showtime Lakers. I even think the Kings are pretty well-represented represented in the NHL. Uh, Major League Soccer with LAFC has done well there, and the Galaxy have been around forever. But for whatever reason, the NFL just does not work there. I, uh, I, I'll have to move on because I'm, I'm still stunned that they didn't didn't just put one, but they put two teams in there. But again, the Chiefs at seven and four uh, get their bye, and then they will have two home games against the Broncos and the Raiders. Well, it's state championship week. We'll have Thanksgiving on Thursday, and then Saturday at Astra we'll have three state championship games. So tonight we're going to take a quick look at all of the state championships. We'll start, go top to bottom. Blue Valley Northwest at 11 and 1 takes on Derby at 11 and 0 for the 6A state championship. Blue Valley Northwest beat Blue Valley West 35 7 in one semifinal. Derby just dismantles Lawrence 62 to 28. I guess it's pretty simple, Brad. Does Blue Valley Northwest, do they have a shot at derailing this Derby train? You know, the one thing I will say about Blue Valley Northwest, in addition to playing in a you know very good conference and playing in that Blue Valley district, which is just loaded with football talent, uh, this is the first time they've ever made it to a state championship football game. That can work, one, I think, one of two ways. One, you can get overwhelmed. You see Derby across the sideline, and next thing you know, it's it's 42 to nothing. <laughs> but on the other hand, I, I remember the first, the, the, in 2012, when Hutchinson made it to the state championship game and lost to Shawnee Mission West, who was making 
I think maybe the only their second appearance ever. I mean, they just Shawnee Mission West just wasn't known for football. And Shawnee Mission West went out there and won and just beat up Hutch. It was 19 to 14, so the score was close. But I remember my editor, Pat Sangimino, was there, and he was just saying the game just meant more to, to Shawnee Mission West. You know, they 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 didn't take it for granted, like maybe you know, Hutch has been there so much that yeah, they expect to be there, but he thought maybe that actually kind of backfired on them a little bit, not from a Hutch perspective, but Shawnee Mission West just relished in that. And I think if maybe Blue Valley Northwest can have that kind of mentality, it can work in their favor. But no, I I, I don't see Derby losing this one either, though. Yeah, I, I'll, I think Derby will win this game. They had a couple of close calls this year, one against Carroll. Um, but I think their experience being there before, I think that'll – that'll propel them into yet another state championship. Um, 5A, 11-1, Mill Valley will take on 10-2, Mays. Uh, Mill Valley beat uh, St. Thomas Aquinas 35-19. Mays beat Capen in maybe the, the game of the week, 22-21. And I look at first Mays' schedule their losses this year were 24-17 to Arc City. And then this was one of the close calls I was talking about for Derby. They lost to Derby 42-41. to And correct me if I'm wrong, Mays went for two at the end of this game to win. Was that correct? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, oof, this is this is a great matchup in 5A. Mill Valley, been there, done that Mays, the season that they have had. Um, and they've played a – I played a good schedule. You know, they've got a seven-point win against Carroll, the one-point win against Capen, just the one-point loss to Derby. A um, lot of nice wins on the schedule. Do you think Mays I, – I think it'd be considered a little bit of an upset here. Do, do you think that Mays can knock off Mill Valley? Well, it's kind of like the 6A game, isn't it? You know, Mill Valley yeah. is a team that's been there forever, and now you got a first-time finalist as well with Mays. But I think Mays definitely has the talent to, to get it done. I would be more surprised if Blue Valley Northwest beat Derby than I would be if Mays would beat Mill Valley. So I do think that uh, Mays has a chance. I, I'm going to go with Mill Valley in that one still. A uh, little interesting side note, the Mill Valley coach and the Derby coach, they're cousins. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> what if they'll be eating Thanksgiving dinner together? Wouldn't that be great if they those cousins actually got together on, you know, on an annual event at Thanksgiving and they got together this year as well. Talk, talk a little football, see if they would exchange scouting reports or something like that. Well, they probably don't get together on Thanksgiving very much because they're always coaching this week. But yeah. They probably have to have practice. <laughs> they got practice. Especially in Mill Valley. They, they're, they're used to doing that, but that's a intriguing game. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I would not be surprised at all to see uh, Mays win that ball game. Again, that's their five, a state championship in four, a, it's St. James Academy at eight and four. They're going to take on Andover Central, who is 11 and one. St. James Academy beat Bishop Meage 42 to 19. And we all know about Andover Central, Brad. Beat Bueller 42 21. This has got to be a, a tough one to stomach for Bueller. They turned it over five times and just they trailed from start to finish. And I hate to say Bueller was never in the game, Brad, but Bueller was never in the game really against Andover Central. Um, the St. James Academy pull the upset. I, I I think it's going to be too much from Andover Central, but do you think St. James can win this one? Yeah, I, I do think St. James is going to win this one. Uh, they're the defending state champion. They got an awful lot back from last year. 
you look at their losses, St. Thomas Aquinas, Blue Valley, Blue Valley West, Blue Valley Northwest. I mean, they, 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 and those are, and those were the first four games of the season. Ouch. Yeah. I mean, what, what a horrible start to the season that they had uh, playing those four juggernauts. Uh, two wins against Miasius. You're both, neither one were very close. Uh, I think St. James uh, repeats. Andover Central is playing awfully well right now. But from what I can gather about uh, St. James is that they are just as good uh, as last year, maybe even a little bit better. And that's a, Man, they are playing – everybody they're playing on this schedule is bigger than them. It looks like they had a – you mentioned Aquinas, Blue Valley Blue Valley West, Northwest, then Blue Valley Southwest, and Blue Valley North, then Miege. I mean, holy cow, what a – to say they're not – they haven't been road tested would be an understatement. So, yeah, it'll be – It'll be a tough one for Andover Central. You know, as Bueller supporters, we'd like to see Andover Central win that to say, hey, you lost to the state champion. But, yeah, I I don't know if I'll be surprised if Andover Central wins, but St. James, I think, uh, seems to be destined once again this year in 4A. Well, is it destiny again in 3A this year as it'll be 12-0 Andale taking on 10-2 Frontenac Andale after just leading 14 to eight going into the fourth quarter, ended up pulling away from Southeast of Saline, 37, 16 Frontenac, um, won 10, excuse me, 32 to 13. I believe was that Galena. I wrote down the wrong team that they were playing. Let's Holton. Get that was Holton. Excuse me. So, uh, a two loss team against Andale here in the state championship. I know Frontenac is, has played a good schedule, but uh, you and I have been talking about Andale from the very beginning of not just the playoffs, but the season, um, the way they're constructed, the, they look like they're going to win another one. And I'm, I'm not going off of that train here in the state title game. No, they haven't lost since what Pratt in 20. 20- it's been quite a while. And, and we've said this before, you know, Dylan Schmidt, since he's taken over, uh, Andale has lost a total of two games, one to Pratt, one to Bishop Miege. So, it's going to take something pretty special, I think, to un, to unseat this Andale team. Now, having said that, I do think Frontenac's a good team. Like you mentioned, Scott, they played a pretty good schedule. They uh, One of their losses was to a good Oklahoma team, and then they lost to a good Girard team, 13-6, to kind of a, an odd score there, but uh, a loss nonetheless. Uh, so uh, they're well-tested. You know, they play teams like Colton and Rock Creek and then, you know, Burlington and, and Pittsburgh, Colgan, Columbus. So they've had some good good opponents this year. I just I, I just don't see a team as well as seasoned as Andale, a team that has won so many games in a row. And and I think it was good that they got a test last week, Scott. I really do. I think that definitely spoke well about how they handled a rare test. And Coach Schmidt, he'll point to that as well. I, all week, you know, he's going to point to, hey, we just led them 14 to 8 starting the fourth quarter. We're not going to do that again this week. And I, I think he'll have them focused. And yeah, I think that Andale train goes to 13 and 0 and wins there third straight state title that'll be in Hutchison uh, and that game can be heard on I believe is that the kicks game I gotta get the yep, that's right flip the page here yes it is that'll be the kicks country 106.1 game at one o'clock uh, class 2a features the 12 and 0 defending champion Rossville they'll take on nine and three Beloit Rossville won the the war on 24 over Silver Lake convincingly 36 to 8 and Beloit for the second straight week knocked out one of our area teams 
And they did it kind of the same way, got out to the, the lead and then just held on at the end, 22 to 19. They defeated Kingman. Um, I said this after seeing Beloit, Brad, they're, they're like a Andale. I don't want to say clone because nobody does, I think, what Andale does quite to their level. But they, they, they only run the ball. They run that full house backfield. The, the Barrett kid runs it 40-plus times a game. And if they get behind, they just really don't have the ability to throw the football. And I, I think that's something Rossville, after watching the tape, that they'll try to get out on their first or second drive, put points up there and try to get Beloit out of their game. I think they do that. And I, I think Rossville repeats. Yeah, I do too. I mean, Rossville's closest game this year was 24-19 to Silver Lake, their rival. So, I mean, nothing wrong with uh, beating Silver Lake by five. And they just have just pounded teams left and right this year. I just don't see – I just don't see it, Scott. I mean, if, if you ask me of all the state championship games, which one am I putting money on to definitely – you know, you say you, you pick one champion you think is definitely going to win. I might be going with uh, one of these games who is someone who's definitely going to win. I might say Rossville. Yeah, yeah. I would. Uh, I might have to flip a coin between Andale and Rossville on that. Um, that. But those are those are two. Yeah, if I had to put some money down on something, that those would be the two I think that would um, win and also a repeat. Of course, it would be a three-peat for Andale. Um, Let's go ahead and go to class 1A. I'm going to be out in Hayes actually twice this week, Brad. We'll talk about my first trip there here in a little bit. Uh, but on Saturday, I will have 11-0 Inman taking on 11-0 Olpe. Inman, the game you and I had, great ball game. Came from 21-6 down. The score 20 unanswered in the second half to beat Sedgwick 26-21. Olpe took on Centralia at Centralia and won 28-6. to um, I've been fortunate enough, I've been able to already correspond with um, Coach Sawyer this week about this matchup. Of course, I think Olpe is uh, certainly, I think, the favorite coming into this game. We do we know about the Kyler Conradi um, injury, but I do think that uh, uh, Inman's got a chance in this game. Um the concerns for uh, Coach Sawyer, he thinks he's going to get Kendon Blank back uh, for this game. He's a little banged up. But they think he's maybe back for this game, which would be great news um, with Kyler Conradi out. He's really concerned about the power running game of Olpe and their ability to uh, control the clock. They also will run um, some of the option, which is another whole animal that you have to defend. That's such a you have to be so sound defensively to stop an option game. And the thing I noticed mostly uh, looking in this game about Olpe, they played 11 games. Nine of those are shutouts. And the other games they allowed six and 12 points in. So they've allowed a total of 18 points through 11 games. And it is, this is going to be really tough. Inman has got to, if they have any chance to score, they've got to take advantage of it. I think they're going to have to have some, key plays like we saw against Sedgwick out of special teams and or a turnover to set up a short field to be able to beat Olpe. Yeah, I kind of said this throughout the playoffs when covering Inman that I thought the only team in 1A that could go toe-to-toe and beat Inman without, you know, something like five turnovers or anything like that was was this Olpe team. And my goodness, they're just 
I mean, you look at the scores and you just kind of blink your eyes and you're like, wow. I mean, they haven't been tested this year. I mean, Centralia is a great team and they beat them 28 to six last week. And they're defending state champion and kind of like with those other games in 6A and 5A, you know, Inman's the first time finalist playing the season team that's been there, done that. You know, does does the atmosphere get to Inman at all? Do they kind of have a, well, we're here, we're kind of happy mentality? Or do they just go out there and say, you know what, this is our time. You know, it's going to mean more to them than maybe it will OP. I don't, I, I don't know. We'll find that out. But I I, I have a hard time thinking with the injury uh, to, to Conradie and the way that they just uh, – Olpe has played this defensively this year, oh, man, it's, it's, it looks like it's a tough matchup for, for, for Inman. But I do think that Inman still can win this game uh, for another reason is that they showed us something last week by coming from uh, that deficit to, to beat Sedgwick tw- uh, 26-21. I think the other thing, and, and we, we noted it a couple times in the games that Inman has to do this week we saw them have opportunities for those pass plays down the field several times the pass was just a little bit off they had some opportunities to get those chunk plays they've got to have those this week against Olpe they can't have those all be incompletions that's that that's definitely for sure yeah they have to be able to have the pass plays down the field absolutely uh they're probably going to be there at some point too you know they're going to have the opportunity to to go hit a you know, 60-yard pass play or something like that. And uh, I'm not sure they completed one of them last week, Scott. So, yeah, they're going to have to hit on one at some point. Well, I guess you consider they hit it, hit one. It was the go-ahead touchdown. Of course, that was just going to be one of those kind of out patterns along the sideline. And, you know, Cedric went for the pick, didn't get it, and then it was just a foot race. But um, there is one common opponent between these two, Brad, and I don't think it's going to tell you a lot. Each team played Ellenwood. With the exact final score of sixty-eight to nothing, so <laughs> what are the chances? <laughs> I know. I looked at that. I had to double check to make sure I had the had the right screen up. And yeah, Inman won at Ellenwood, sixty-eight to nothing, and Olpe beat Ellenwood in Olpe, sixty-eight to nothing. So you can hear that game uh, this weekend on ninety-five point nine. Well, let's look at the two eight-man championship games. Division one. This is going to be the early game. I believe this is the eleven o'clock start. Eleven or excuse me, twelve and oh Little River, twelve and oh Mead, Little River, and maybe certainly one of the games of the playoffs last week in a back and forth crazy ball game. They defeated Rival Canton Galva for the second time this season. The final was 76 to 68. And Meade defeated Hill City 48 to 34. I just continue to be impressed with Little River with the way that Ryland Conan and Braxton Lafferty, they had big shoes to fill um, coming into this season. Um, the two players that they took over for at that kind of quarterback slash running back with um, for Garrison and Stevens, and they have done a fantastic job. But I think the thing, and I've talked about it all year long, that, and, and there's a reason why I feel Little River can repeat this Saturday. And there are three offensive linemen from a season ago, and I think that experience and that continuity is why Little River is right back here to challenge Meade. 
Yeah, and I just think it. I mean, Little River's path to the state championship game. I mean, my goodness. I mean, first of all, can't you know they beat Canton Galvin, maybe one of the best games in, in eight man football history in Kansas. But you know, the week before was just as good. It was just a little bit lower scoring when they beat Madison 38-32. and then they had a great testing. It's a good Burling game team before that. So Little River. Man, they've had a tough road to get here, and I think they deserve all kinds of props. Not, I think, just for getting to this game, but you, you know that they're not satisfied with just getting here. And uh, you know, Mead has really had a great season. Uh, kind of came from nowhere to have this great season. It, it feels like, and they they have just really put a hurting on a lot of teams this year. But I'm going to go with the, the defending state champions and Little River. I, I like them to repeat. And yet, it's another game with a, a been there, done that team from last year to a team that. Um, just getting there, like you said, Mead coming kind of out of nowhere this year. But yeah, I will, I will take Little River to repeat um, on Saturday, and that's that's the first game of the day. The second game of the day in Newton, the eight-man Division Two game, uh, perennial power Axtell. They're twelve and zero. Will take on Wheatland Grinnell, who's eleven and zero. Axtell run rules Thunder Ridge forty-six to nothing. And Wheatland Grinnell, an impressive win over Victoria, 42 to 30. I actually was able to cover Axtell. Um, the year Canton Galva won the championship, I called the Canton Galva game. Then I called the Axtell game. They came up short that year. I don't believe they'll come up short this year, Brad. They just they have just been mowing down their opponents. I think Wheatland Grinnell, very good team. Obviously, that victory over Victoria looks good. I just, I just think Axel is just a little bit better. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Wheatland Grinnell is another first-time finalist. I could be wrong about that, but I think they are another first-time finalist. But yeah, Axel from the Twin Valley League. And if I need to say anything about who's in the Twin Valley League, Hanover. They beat Hanover twice <laughs> this year. So when you beat Hanover twice, you've done something pretty special. And also. You know, Waverly is another very good team. They beat Waverly in the playoffs, 62 to 16. So I think this Axel team, I, I agree. I think they're the favorites to win this game. Coming from that great Twin Valley League, I don't see any reason why they don't win it. Well, and as I look at their schedule, Brad, this is a rematch clear back from week one where they beat Wheatland Grinnell 62 to 16. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Goodness. And that, that, and it, Wheatland Grinnell, great job getting back. They've got to forget. I mean, go back and watch a little bit of that tape, but you got to forget about that game. This is a whole – it's like a – it's literally a season ago that that game was played. So to have any hope in this game, Wheatland Grinnell's got to have a real short memory and go out and just play football. But, again, I'm like you. I will take Axtell in that game. So again, our schedule, you're going to have the call of Andale Frontenac. That game's on Kicks Country 106. Uh, Little River and me, Doug Higgins, will have that game. That will be on 94.7. Again, that's the early game. I believe it's 11 o'clock start. That will be followed by KU West Virginia on 94.7. And I will have the Inman Olpe game on 95.9. Well, the uh, Sterling Warriors officially ended their football season this last weekend. They went down to Waxahachie, Texas for the Victory Bowl against Southwest Assembly of God and fell 31-14 to end the season with an overall 6-6 six and six record. I know three or four key players didn't make the trip for Sterling, Brad, their best defensive player, one of their starting 
offensive linemen. They were so they were a little undermanned, but it it seemed to be. I was able to watch a little bit of it. They had the 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 stream up and going on the big screen there at the Gleason Center uh, when I was doing basketball on Saturday. Um, it seemed to be kind of the the pattern of their losses this year. They they were in the game early, down I think just ten seven, and then couple of bad things happen. They get behind multiple scores. They were down 31-7, got a late touchdown to make it 31-14. Um, but it just kind of seemed to be the, the the Achilles heel there. They just couldn't maintain that good start once again. Yeah, and so they had they, they ran for uh, minus 29 yards, so that's not going to win you many football games, if any at all. But defensively, they only allowed 395 yards, and they still had 302 yards of total offense, So and they – converted 7 to 14 third downs, but Southwest Assembly is a guy who was 9 out of 13 on third down, and one of those third downs they didn't make, they got it on fourth down. So, you know, it, it, I still think overall this was a good season for Southwest Assembly, Southwest, or I gosh, for, for Sterling, excuse me. Uh, you know, they, got, they they were 6 and 4 at one point. They finished with those losses to McPherson and then in their bowl game. But you know what? Considering that, that they won, what, one game last spring, or last season during their split season uh, due to COVID, I think this was this this was still a good season for for the Warriors, and I think uh, they can definitely take something, build on this. And I, 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 I overall, I'm encouraged with their season. I I was as well. I would have taken six wins and a cloud of dust at the beginning of the year and been very and a bowl hard. game and a bowl game. Yeah, I, I love that dual membership with the NCCAA, their uh, men's soccer team, their women's volleyball team, also. Um, competed in postseason, both coming up just a little short of nationals for the NCCAA, but um, this gives your teams more opportunities to compete, and I, I really like that, and I, I'm looking forward to the uh, to the offseason, catching up with Coach Hanson and seeing what he can do moving forward after uh, finishing 6-6. Six and six. Well, uh, we're off and running with Conference basketball in the KCAC, both Sterling men's and women's team getting their first two games this past week. It was at Ottawa and then home for Southwestern. Let's talk about uh, the women first. They win 88-71 at Ottawa and come home and beat Southwestern 85-47. to uh, I'm watching uh, Bailey Albright. That's uh, Bailey, formerly Bailey Bangert, the Bangert twins from Kingman, Brad. And she is playing at an all-American level right now. She has 34 points at Ottawa, got to the line 17 times, converted 16. The team in that game was 30-35 from the foul line and won that game without hitting a three-pointer, where Ottawa was 11-26 from the three-point line. And Ottawa came into that game shooting 16% from the three point line. So they still win going away without a three, just because they were so aggressive getting to the line. Emily Hendrickson steady as always 17 points, six rebounds. Taya Wilson misses a double double by one rebound, 15 points and nine rebounds. But once they get that pace going, it just seems like um, I'm not going to say they're unbeatable, but they did the same as against Southwestern at home, a, a team really struggling. They were at, they led 29 to nine at the end of the first quarter. I mean, the game was basically over Bailey Albright, Brad, she does it all. She has a double, double 22 points. She leads the team in rebounding against Southwestern. She has 12 boards at, I think they're listed at five, five. And then Emily Hendrickson 
She's 10 for 10 at the line. It's 23 points. And again, the team, they make more free throws than Southwestern attempts. They're 27 of 32. So this team is being very aggressive. And a little side note, because I know you love watching her play, Emily Hendrickson, five points away from 1,000 in her career. And unfortunately, I'm probably going to miss it at Tabor this weekend. Boy, I tell you what, this uh... – it's well, what they accomplished last year is it's going to be very difficult to duplicate, but man, Scott, right now I'm telling you, this has this team right now looks like that they might be able to do as well as, as last year's team did. I mean, it, it's such a tough mark when you go undefeated through the regular season and make it to the national tournament like that. But, and, and, and like you and I agree, this, this team isn't as deep and, and that's okay though, because, you know, as long as uh, they, they maintain their health, I don't, I, I think their starting five is probably about as good as anybody's. I definitely agree. It's going to be a huge, I'll talk about the game I've got with them tomorrow. Um, It's all arrows are pointed towards uh, this coming Saturday where they go to Tabor. Um, They were the preseason number one and twos. They were just flip-flop between the coaches and the media poll. Um, That's going to be a huge battle, but their front, yeah, their front five is, uh, they shoot more made basket layups on the other end than I've ever seen. I mean, if, if the team is celebrating with one high five after they make a big basket, I guarantee you Bailey Albright or somebody is about to shoot a layup on the other end. I mean, they just, they push that tempo from start to finish. Now at times they have a few too many turnovers. Some of those you live with just because they're trying to make that extra pass and suck teams into that running game, which Tabor will try to absolutely stay out of. But yeah, if, um, if they stay healthy, I think that's the real key because they're not as deep. This is going to be a team that they can make a deep push and try and, and possibly repeat as conference champs. Yeah, and I mean the starting five, any of them can are capable of doing that. But you also got just some elite players, whether it's Bailey or Sydney and Ty Wilson's very good, and Emily Hendrickson is going to be you know kind of a revelation coming off the bench last year, and now she's going to be one of the top guards in the country or one of the top perimeter players in the country. I think it's uh, definitely. You know, if, if basically if people thought that this might be maybe a slightly of a rebuilding year for Sterling, uh, they're sorely mistaken. Yeah. Now, on the men's side, a little bit different story this past week. Uh, 84-53 loss at Ottawa, 94-70 home loss to Southwestern. The Ottawa game, Brad, is something we saw a little bit of last year. That was just a one-point game at halftime. I believe it was 36-35. to Ottawa led by just one point. Uh, Sterling was playing very well. They were moving the ball around offensively, executing, um, playing good perimeter defense. And then they get just their doors blown off in the second half because they shoot. I don't know if I've ever seen this, Brad, four of 33 from the floor in the second half, just 27% from the game. They were three of 24 from the three point line in Ottawa, as they do, they're so athletic, such good shooters. They, couple players got hot from three-point land and that that went south in a hurry it's um it just was a a head shaker in the the southwestern loss um, 94 to 70 um they were in that game for a while but southwestern made a run before halftime um southwestern took 20 more shots and the most telling tale in the southwestern game is sterling at a grand total of four assists only one in the first half, and this is a team that cannot compete uh, if they play one-on-one, and they're just not talented enough to do that against the elite teams like they played this last week. 
Well, that also indicates to me that the ball's sticking too much, Scott. I see they only had seven assists against Ottawa. So, the, to me, that, that, that means that the ball's sticking too much. It's not moving well enough. And, you know, because of that, they're, they're, not, they're putting in a lot of one-on-one situations. They're probably not good enough to beat teams in one-on-one situations. And, but but there, there's still some good moments. You know, see Jalen Jackson had a double-double against, against Ottawa with uh, 10 points and 10 rebounds. But, yeah, four, four assists, I, I tell you, that's just uh, – not, there's not a single college basketball or high school college pro basketball coach who's going to live <laughs> with, with that kind of number. I mean – Four assists to uh, what eleven? Tur- I mean, eleven turnovers isn't bad. You you can live with eleven turnovers, but but four assists. I mean, th- again, to me, that means the ball sticking too much on offense. And Darian Reed looks like he's going to be really steady. He played well, fifteen points, seven rebounds against Ottawa. David Dunbar had sixteen points against Southwestern. He was under control on the offensive end. He just is a little out of control when he plays defense. He gets some of those. Um, silly fouls that you can't afford and has to spend a little more time on the bench with foul trouble. So if he can, if he can settle that down on the defensive end and stay in the game, I think he can, he can be a force inside, but right now they're just really trying to figure things out um, as they will go um, on Tuesday this week to play an exhibition at Newman before playing Tabor on Saturday. I wanted to talk a little bit. I'm going to go cover the Lady Warriors, they're going to play an exhibition at Fort Hayes State on Tuesday. I mentioned I'm going to be in Hayes twice this week um, at the college for basketball and then football. Um, this is going to be an interesting game, Brad. Um, I was doing some research on this today. Fort Hayes State, they're ranked number four in NCAA Division II right now in the country. And this is a young team. There are a lot of freshmen amongst their top 13, 14 on their varsity roster. And they are, they're big, even their guard, a lot of guards, 5'10", 5'11". They've got 6'3", 6'1". Now I talked with um, their SID for a while today. They're a little bit banged up, a couple girls nursing some ankles. And you never know how coaches approach these exhibition games. You know, I'm not sure how Coach Bassett's going to approach it with Tabor coming up on Saturday. Will she want to take out her front five more to not have the have them be tired for the Saturday game um, and maybe play more girls. Um, if they're in the game, will they go for it, leave those girls in there? How will Hayes approach it? I never know, but it's an intriguing game. I mean, certainly they're playing one of the best NCAA Division II teams, not just in this area, but maybe in the country. So it's going to give them a really nice test. Well, we've seen some of these MIAA women's teams before beat KUNK State in exhibition play. <laughs> and frankly, they're not upsets. Those, the, you know, I've seen like a Washburn and Emporia and Fort Hayes, you know, uh, play with and beat Kansas and Kansas State. It's just that they're, they're, they're better. I mean, there's no other way to say it. And I see that they got a lot of Kansas players on this Fort Hayes roster from Ellis and Mays and Manhattan and Canton, Concordia. Yeah, yes, he's the Nebraskans too on there. So, absolutely, and that's uh, that's just neat to see that uh, that many girls from around the area. And uh, it, it will be interesting to see how these teams approach this game. Uh, you know, is is it nice for Sterling to go out and compete? Maybe have a chance to beat a Fort Hayes? Absolutely. But you know what? If you ask any of those girls, and, and Coach Bassett as well, if you go one and one this week, who you going to want to beat is going to be one hundred percent Tabor. <laughs> Absolutely. And did you happen to see, Brad, um, the first game of the season for Fort Hayes State? I did not. UConn. Yes, I did see that. I did see that. Yes, I did. 
Yeah, yeah. Apparently, there was a former um, Fort Hayes alum who moved out to the Northeast a number of years back and has become fairly wealthy and has some connections there. And he is he's actually set that up now a couple of times for them to play at UConn and get that experience and a pretty nice check, I I assume, to go out there as well. So uh, how about a recruiting boost, too? Oh, my goodness. You're, I would you're, you're not playing Kansas or K-State or something like that. You're going to UConn. <laughs> That's, uh, that was incredible. I looked at that, and it's like, oh, my gosh, they were uh, they were out of their water on that one. But, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, that'll be Tuesday. That's a 5.30 tip, so I'll have our pregame 5.15 on 95.9. Uh, sticking with basketball for one of our last topics here, a uh, little Thanksgiving Turkey for KU and North Texas. I was a little surprised that game was actually on Thanksgiving. If I look correct, of course, 94-7, the home of Jayhawk football and basketball. What do you think about KU playing North Texas on Thanksgiving? Well, I made mention of this, that uh, North Texas is coached by Grant McCaslin, I believe, who won an NCAA tournament game last year. So, you know, North Texas uh, proved themselves last year in that uh, in, in the tournament. And you know, it's, it looks like there's some decent teams there, you know, with uh, Miami and Dayton and Alabama. Uh, Drake's had some good teams before. Belmont's been a very good low major team through the years. So uh, kind of an interesting first round game with North Texas. Uh, I'm kind of intrigued by that one. It'd be interesting at, at KU then, I believe it's, uh, yeah, this is a week in between games and then they'll start getting a little bit more into the meat of their schedule after this. I think it's just kind of a, one of those bang the rest off a little bit and, hone some of the things you've been working on before you get into the meat of your schedule. Um, but we're, we're typically pretty busy. I don't know that I'll get to take in any of that game, but just very interesting that KU is playing on Thanksgiving. Well, that's the end of our regular topics for this evening. So uh, do you want to save yours for last? Do you want me to go first on final thoughts? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm going to go to uh, what is part of our business, Brad, to the world of play-by-play sports announcing. And there was a very unfortunate incident in the Big 12. This uh, It's now been a little bit over a, a week ago that the uh, Texas Tech radio announcers, when they were playing Iowa State, actually got suspended by the Big 12 conference for their comments during that ball game. They got suspended for um, the, their past weekend's game, um, basically what they were doing uh, was complaining about officials. Now, that's nothing new for announcers for uh, uh, announcers that are following one team all year to you know point out where they think maybe a call went wrong. But where they completely, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, went off the rails is they started accusing um, the Big 12 officials that they certainly did not want Iowa State to lose this game. And I think really where they went over the top, they started reading off the list and the names. I'm surprised they didn't include home addresses the way they were going. of All the officials and just – and I listened to a lot of it. And, of course, it was all over social media. And, you know, Brad, I follow Sterling College, and I'll admit I can get – I can get pretty wrapped up when you see something that you think was fairly obvious, the wrong call went against your team, of course, when you get more upset. But you and I have also talked about the severe lack of officials that we're seeing, especially the high school and even the college level. And I always try to be very careful 
uh, about what I say when I'm doing a, a radio broadcast for, for any school. I want to represent um, the kids and those schools to the best of my ability and to entertain and bring the action to the um, to the listening audience and to the parents and to the and to the friends and the family of all these student athletes. And that is where I think that these two uh, men that announced for Texas Tech, they need to go back and do a little soul searching that they've really crossed the line and forgotten what they are there to do because they, they were completely out of line. I think some people didn't think that they should be suspended. I thought it was absolutely the right call. I I was really bothered by their tone. I mean, to, to say that they were, that the referees were openly essentially trying to help Iowa State win, I would just ask what I would just ask what is the benefit now what, what do the referees benefit from that I mean how do they benefit from Iowa State winning I don't I, I, I don't get that and then the, to read the referees names out that was not an FYI thing they were reading off those referees names as a way of essentially telling their their listeners go get them now mm-hmm. go find out who they are you go get them and uh, just very unprofessional I mean look we all have moments on air on Twitter where we go after referees. I, I've done it before. I mean, look, I, 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 we'd be less than human if we didn't, Scott. But to, to, to insinuate stuff like that, uh, it's just completely uncalled for. And, yeah, I agree. The, the suspension is appropriate. And I hope they learn from it. I really do. I really hope that they learn from it and they realize, you know what, guys, we were wrong. And I, I don't know. I, I didn't ever hear – or I didn't really study after I listened to it. Um, what was Texas Tech's response, the university themselves? Did you ever see how they responded to um, what was said or what the um, conference did to their announcers? I, I did not see if there was an official response from the university or the athletic department. Mm. I, and, and to me, the, there should have been. Um, if, if there wasn't, there, there should have been or there should still um, yet be one to come when they, I assume they will be back on the microphone um, this weekend for whoever Texas Tech plays. Haven't, haven't looked at that, but again, I think they really need to go back and, and figure out exactly what they are paid and what they are there to do because uh, they were way, way out of line in, in, in this announcer's opinion in that ball game. So I guess um, you've got one that's going to go back to the uh, junior college ranks. So I will turn it over to you. Well, they, as I mentioned earlier on, they announced the top four teams for the first ever four-team JUCO playoff. It's the first year that they've had more than two teams eligible to play in the postseason for the national championship, and it's four teams. And Hutchinson, the reigning national champion and the Jayhawk Conference champion, went through the postseason and won 77 to nothing, 42 to nothing over what was number five independence on the road and then beat number 11 Garden City 49-19. to They've won five in a row since losing to Independence. A good team. Independence is a very good team. Ultimately, though, Scott, from what I can gather, the, 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 the biggest reason some pollsters didn't have Hutchinson high enough or to, to, to essentially finish in the top four was because they essentially felt that Hutch actually lost three games this year. They lost to Butler. Or the, the, the official losses were to Coffeyville and Independence, and they also lost a game to Butler that Butler later had to forfeit for using an ineligible player. This, this player scored a touchdown against Hutch. So we're not talking about some guy who maybe played a couple special team snaps or, or 
you know, a kick return or something like that, or maybe played two garbage downs at the end of the game. And if that had been the case, you know what? I could almost see that argument that this was a player who was not significant enough to the outcome of the game. But the guy who's played, uh, who was uh, the ineligible player, scored a touchdown against Hutch. He was not their number one receiver, but I think he was their number three receiver. And so my question then is, if if this guy hadn't played, if that Butler player hadn't played in that game, can you say for 100%, and I mean 100%, that Butler would have won that game still? Mm-hmm. The answer is no. You can't prove that. So I just don't see how you can say, well, Hutch actually lost three games this year because they played by the rules. Butler didn't. And whether Butler knew about it or not is, is, is immaterial to me. I just don't get how anybody can say, and I saw a lot of this on Twitter today, Hutch lost three games. No, they lost two games. You can't hold it against them that a team cheated to beat them, can you, Scott? And maybe, maybe I'm off. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong for, for for saying this. But if if someone was voting them low because they won a forfeited game, I just got a major problem with that. Yeah, that's a boy. That is a tough area. Um, yeah, that should not be considered. I mean, if. It, it, there may be some saying, oh, I didn't consider that when I voted. And, and when they might have actually went back and looked and see, oh, well, that was, you know, I was forfeited because one, one player that didn't make a difference. Like you said, you cannot assume that, especially um, as you mentioned, he scored a touchdown. I mean, there was, there was a year where uh, Sterling college ended up actually, if you went by their on the field results, they were four and seven. Well, they ended up having to forfeit, three games, uh, three wins from earlier in the season because of a, uh, a player that they discovered was ineligible, but he was one that played like on one special team. And he wasn't a, he wasn't a first stringer or anything. So you could pretty much assume that, well, their official record ended up being one in 10, but they were four and seven. That, like you said, with a significant player of, of that caliber, you can't assume that they're going to win the game if he does not play. So Pollsters, yeah, I, I do not know how they were instructed, how much how much uh, leeway they have to do what they feel is right, what guidelines they have. But yeah, that's if that was certainly a determining factor for some people by not voting Hutch in, then that was that was clearly the wrong thing. Yeah, it's and you know I think what we're going to see we're going to see probably some changes eventually, um, maybe not in the next two year cycle which starts next year, but the one after that. I think what you're going to see eventually is maybe an automatic bid to the highest ranked team from the three major JUCO conferences in Texas, Mississippi, and Kansas. The other two got in, New Mexico military from the, from the Texas conference. There is a New Mexico team in the Texas conference and Mississippi got in as well. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, Hutch played a, a schedule, all of JUCOs, half their 10 games came against teams that were ranked in the final season poll. And Snow College, who they beat in the championship game last year, and I get it's hard for, for Snow to schedule. They're an independent. They're kind of out on an island in Utah. But they played three of their, I think, seven wins this year came against uh, prep schools, you know, teams that they beat 85 to nothing, you know. I, I you know, if, 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 if you want to argue that Hutch isn't as good at 8-2 and two as Snow is at 8-1 and one or 7-1 or whatever they are, I'll listen to it all day. I just have a hard problem. Or I just have got a big problem with people saying they lost three games. No, they lost two games. Yeah, I, I, I believe I would agree with that. So we'll wait and see, as you mentioned, that it looks like Hutch will be playing one more game in the Salt City Bowl. Um, that's all yet to be determined. So, again, uh, 
The schedule for Ad Astra this week has uh, Sterling College women and Fort Hayes State Tuesday at 5.30 on 95.9 KU, 94.7 on Thanksgiving Day, and then on Championship Saturday. It's an 11 o'clock start, and that'll be on 94.7 Little River and Mead, followed by KU West Virginia football. And then 1 o'clock starts on 106.1 for Andale and Frontenac in 3A, and 1 o'clock start in 1A for Inman versus Olpe. So, again, thanks to all of our regular listeners. And for this week's View from the Press Box for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a great week.